Hey family, this is Josh Eggerson. I want to thank you for tuning in to the Faith Restored podcast. Faith Restored is a local church with a global mission to reach the lost and teach the found. And it's our hope that the word you're about to hear today encourages you, inspires you, and builds your faith. If you'd like to learn more about Faith Restored, you can visit us on our website at faithrestored.church. Now let's go live into this week's message. Second Corinthians chapter 8. If you have it, won't you say, I got it? Verse number 8. It says, and God is able. Somebody say able. To make all grace abound to you. So that always, somebody say always. Having all sufficiency in everything, you may have an abundance for every good deed and God is able somebody say able say it like you mean it say able to make all grace abound to you so that always somebody say always somebody say all the time having all sufficiency in everything you may have an abundance for every good deed amen Uh, I'm going to preach for 11 minutes about the God who gives grace in tight places. Amen. The God who gives grace in tight places. The God who gives grace in tight places. Uh, I was struggling when I was putting this message together because I was trying to figure out how best to introduce this particular passage of scripture. Over the last several weeks, we've been in a series on stewardship. If you haven't guessed it, I've been preaching about money. That's why the crowd is thin. (laughs) Been preaching about money and about stewardship and about what it is that we do with our time. And one of the battles for me in addressing the topic of finance and money in church is simply this. Not many of us in here are wealthy. Not many of us in here have a lot of resources. As a, many, as a matter of fact, most of us, for most of us, financial wealth is something that we've only dreamed about or even dared to pray for. The truth is most of us are in here trying to live and make it day by day. We're trying our best to make it happen one day, one week at a time. And this is difficult for us because the challenge for us as believers is that God calls us to do something crazy. He says, I'm going to build my church. I'm going to save souls. I'm going to work miracles. I'm going to make a way. But I want you to pay for it. I want you, if you have been saved by me, if you believe in me, if I am your Lord and your Savior, then I want you to take on the financial responsibility of taking care of the church. And this is problematic for a lot of us because the truth is, if we look at our finances, our finances are telling us, God, we can't handle the burden of trying to finance the ministry. Y'all ain't going to say nothing to me, but the... 
The truth is, many of us, if we want to be honest, it's not that we disagree. Most of us don't disagree with whether or not we should give, right? Most of us don't have a problem with whether or not we're supposed to give. What the problem, the problem we have is, doesn't God know that it's tight? Doesn't God understand that I got more month than I've got money? Doesn't God get the fact that I got goals I'm trying to achieve, that I got businesses I'm trying to start, that every kid take about a thousand and a half dollars a month out of my pocket that I'm trying to raise? Doesn't God understand that the taxes have gone up on the poor and been broken on the rich in the Trump administration? Doesn't God understand that it's tight? And I don't know who I'm talking to, but I want to talk to some people. I want to make sure you understand what I'm saying I, I, when I say that it's tight. You know what I mean when I say tight. I'm talking about that space where you're not quite all the way broke, but you don't really have anything to spare. That, that time in between paychecks when you budgeted out your gas and your food money and you set aside an extra $15 to $20 in case something comes up before Friday and uh, you're trying your best to make it. And if we would be honest, a lot of us in here love God and understand what God requires of us. But at the same time, we want to know if God cares that it's tight. The question that I want to raise today is, how do I do what God wants me to do with my money even when it's tight? Yeah, how, how do I do what God is calling, calling me to do with my money even when it's tight? This is the battle that we face as believers every day. And in all honesty, this series uh, that we've been preaching, oh my God, has been an attempt to highlight the reality that there is a battle raging in each of our lives over who is going to be our God. Is it the God that we say we serve when we're singing? Or is it really the God of self-gratification? And are we really the God chasers and Christ lovers that we say we are? Or do our lives secretly tell a different story? The reason that I've highlighted this battle with the series on stewardship is because Jesus says in Matthew chapter 6, verse 21, that where your heart is, there your treasure will be also. Essentially telling us that where you put your money is an indication of where your affection really is. That your checkbook, your bank statement, your transaction history are theological documentation that declare for us who has your heart. And there are many of us who have no problem giving our time and our talent and our treasure until it gets tight. When it gets tight, we begin to struggle in our hearts and minds between what we want to do and what God is requiring of us. And here is the reality. It's easy to be obedient and faithful when there is nothing tugging at your obedience and faithfulness. It's easy to give extravagantly when everything is paid and you got some extra money that you haven't really made plans for yet. But what do you do when money gets tight? What do you do when you have your financial concerns on one side and the requirement of God on the other? And that's the question that I want to attempt to answer through our text. Paul is writing this book. The Apostle Paul is writing this book, 2 Corinthians to a Corinthian church that is young, gifted, blessed, and successful, but they are immature. They are arrogant. They would rather spend their money on clothes and things and material possessions than to give to the church out of their immense wealth. And so Paul is coming to them now. And 2 Corinthians, beloved, uh, is not really a book of correction like 1 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians is Paul's attempt to defend himself. And after defending himself, he begins in 7, 8, 9, and 10, chapter 7, 8, 9, and 10, to raise an offering to support the ministry of the church in Macedonia. It's funny. Paul is raising this offering, right? And as he's raising this offering in chapter 9, 
he does not leave it up to the Corinthians for them to decide how they're going to give. In chapter 9, he tells them exactly how they are supposed to give and what they are supposed to give and the spirit that they're supposed to give it in. Notice that he doesn't defend whether or not they should be giving to the church because it's already understood that if you are a part of a family, you should contribute to that family. There was no cultural reality that said you could be a part of something and not contribute something to it. So Paul never argues about whether or not it's right to give to the church. He says you already know what's right to do. As a matter of fact, verse number one of chapter nine says it is superfluous. It is unnecessary for me to write to you regarding this matter because he says you already understand that God demands for you to give. But if we jump down to verse number six and seven, Paul issues a challenge to the church in regards to their financial giving. Paul tells them in verse number six, God wants you to give generously. And then in verse number seven, he issues another challenge and says that God wants you to give joyfully. He says, I know it's tight, Churches in Macedonia are struggling. There's financial pressure happening. But God wants you to give with generosity. And he wants you to give joy. Even though I'm telling you it's already tight. I know it's tight because it's tight for me. I'm struggling is what Paul is saying. That's why I'm coming to you to get this offering because it's tight. But even though it's tight, Paul says, I want you to give generously. And I want you to give joyfully. That presented a problem for me. I'm be honest with you. Right. Because how is it that God can command us to give generously with money we don't have? And then when we find some money to give him to be happy about it. It's almost as if he's asking us to do something that is impossible. And even if it's not impossible, we don't know how we can do it, because if we could do it, we love God. We would have done it already. If we were possible to do what God if it was possible for us to do what God was asking us to do in and of our flesh, we would have done it already. And Paul is saying, I'm challenging you now to give with generosity and to give with joy, even in the midst of hard times. When you can't pay your bills, when you're struggling to figure out how you're going to make it. When you're struggling to figure out how everything is going to come together and how you're going to put your kids through school and how you're going to put something away and how you're going to get the down payment for your house and how you're going to make some moves that you've always wanted to make and how you're going to make your student loan payment and how you're going to do all the things you got to do. God says, in spite of that, I am calling you to give with generosity and joy even when you say, I ain't got it. And maybe y'all are a little bit more spiritual than me. But I've been in church services with preachers and apostles and bishops. And, and they're raising offering. And they're playing the music softly behind themselves. And they're trying to raise the offering. And I want to holler at them, hey, I ain't got it. It don't matter how long. We're waiting on you. We're waiting on you. It don't matter how long you wait. I ain't, I ain't got the money. And yet, in spite of that feeling, God's commandment does not change. Can I tell you what's wrong with us as a church and as a society? We look at the commandment of God and our situation, and we use our situation 
as a reason to justify why we are not obedient to the commandment of God. As if God did not know what your situation was when he commanded you to do it. The problem is, even though you might feel like you don't have any money, the commandment of God for you to give does not change. Oh my God, I, I wish you'd get it. Do, do, you, do you feel that tension? I mean, I mean, for real, this is for people who really want to love and serve God. I'm not talking about people who, 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 who are fans of Jesus. I'm talking about people who are followers of him, right? Your life depends on whether or not you obey him because he is your master. He is your Lord. He is your savior. I'm not talking about people who want convenient Christianity, people who can think about uh, whether or not they're going to be. I'm not talking about folk that are for real trying to live this thing. And you know it's hard because God is calling you to do something with your finance and you can't see how it can be done. Give generously and give with joy even though it's tight. How do I do that? How do I make that happen? Well, I believe the answer then, beloved, for the challenge in verses 6 and 7 is in verse number 8. And God is able to make all grace abound to you. Pa Paul, how, how am I able to give with generosity even though uh, I don't really have a whole lot of money? Uh, God is able to make all grace Abound to you. God, Paul, Paul, how can I be joyful about the money that I'm given when in the back of my mind, as I'm walking to the offering basket, I'm thinking about what else I could spend this money on? God is able to make all grace abound. Paul, how am I able to give generously and I've got to put down the first and last month's rent on a new place to stay next Friday? God is able to make all grace abound unto you. And notice then, beloved, that, that God does not say, Paul does not say for God that God is able to make all money abound to you. Yeah. Paul doesn't say God is able to make money abound. He says God is able to make grace abound. That bothered me because I, like you, understand what grace is. It is not the withholding of judgment, that's mercy, but grace rather, beloved, is the unmerited favor or divine assistance of God that I don't deserve. Grace is when God steps into my natural and makes my natural supernatural so that I can do what it is he's called me to do. So then he says, God gives me grace for giving, not money for giving, which means that giving is not a matter of means, it's a matter of obedience. Ooh, God have mercy that, that, that when I don't give it's not because I don't have it is because there is a thread of disobedience somewhere in my finances in my life and so what God does is he does not give me more money because 10% is 10% whether you make $4,000 a month or whether you make $2,000 a month a dime is still a dime out of every dollar so God does not give you more money so that you can give but he gives you divine supernatural holy ghost strength to save yes to him instead of saying yes to yourself do you hear what I'm saying the Bible says that when God wants you to do something in tight places he gives you grace 
for the tight place. God help me. Oh God, and I don't know who I'm preaching to in the building, but there's somebody here who can testify that you got problems and you've got pressure and you've got pain and you've got stuff that money can't get you out of. But you need a little bit more Jesus. You need a little bit more power. You, you need a little bit more strength so that you can make it through the tight places of life. And that's what Paul says. Paul says, when you are caught in between the cares of this life and the commandment of God and you feel yourself being backed up into a corner and it's tight on you God gives you grace for the tight place and if we could just step out of money for a moment and just let your mind roll back over the history of your life and think about the times think about the seasons in your life when God gave you grace for a tight place God help me I, I don't know who's in the building but is there anybody here who can think about the times when God got you out of some tight places when God opened up some doors for you when God made some ways out of no way God says I'm giving you grace for the tight place God help me so then how how does God give grace in the tight place God help me I already went over my time y'all give me four more minutes I got four points and then I promise I'm done number one God gives me grace in the tight place by reminding me that the size of my harvest is directly connected to the size of my seed God help me the size of my harvest is directly connected to the size of my seed now this is not a numerical amount this is not a amount that God is asking for but God says the size of your sacrifice determines the size of your harvest that what you give God says I'm going to multiply it back to you so if you give small then your return is small but if you give big then your return is big this is not prosperity theology this is not turning God into a cosmic genie this is proper exegesis of the word of God he says the point is this verse 6 you got your Bible open your apps unlocked verse 6 he says now I say he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly and he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully so if you stingy with God you get a stingy harvest but if you're generous to God you get a generous harvest now pastor uh, uh, now everybody don't make as much money as everybody else everybody don't have what everybody else has how can I make sure that I get a big harvest if I don't have a whole bunch of money to give well the Bible is clear God ain't tripping over dollar amounts because God does not work in the realm of human currency you do God gives you money because this is where you live but God judges the size of your seed by the size of the sacrifice meaning that God judges the size of the seed by the pain that is produced when you release the seed God help me so if it hurts then you should be looking for a harvest if it doesn't hurt then you shouldn't be looking for a harvest because God don't take leftovers God help me oh God can I help somebody I really want to help you uh, I'm not just here to get your money from you I want you to grow in God so can I help you with something it is absolutely possible for you to give an offering every Sunday of your life for the rest of your life that you think is a big amount but God knows it really don't mean nothing to you and the church will use it people will get paid outreach will happen people will be touched by the ministry of the church but you won't be blessed by your seed because God only honors sacrifice because when God gave to you he didn't give of his leftovers God gave of the very best that he had so God says you need to give me the best that you got that's why the offering can't be what you got left the offering has to be the first part of your seed it has to be the first
first thing that comes off the top because God says, I want priority and I want sacrifice. And priority and sacrifice for you, if you don't make a lot of money, might be $5 and $10. But if you know you got more than that, then God knows your heart and he is judging you by how you give what you give. Oh man, y'all want y'all y'all don't want to hear that. Yeah, people don't want to hear that, and I want to tell you why we don't want to hear. We don't want to hear it because it challenges us to stop playing with God about our money. It, when we really think about that, it means that God got to be real, just as real as he is when I'm running around here, jumping, speaking in tongues, laying hands on folk. He's just that real when my check hit my account and I got to decide whether I'm going to give this much and take my wife and kids out here or whether I'm going to give a little bit more and we got to go to McDonald's and chill at the crib. Because if he's Lord while I'm up here. He got to be Lord when I go in here. Number one. So the, the size of my harvest is directly connected to the size of my seed. But number two, God only receives seed that is released with the right heart. God only receives seed that is released with the right heart. Look what he says. Verse seven. Each one must do as he has purposed in his own heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion. For God loves a cheerful giver. Yeah. So we got the amount thing right, right? But God says it's not just an amount thing, it's a heart thing. So if you give the right amount, but you tripping about it, then I don't receive that seed. If you give a big amount, but your whole way, going through the cash app, writing your check, swiping your card, Putting your cash in, you're like, oh, God, why I got to do this? I don't want to do that. Lord, you know. God says, keep it. You know, my, my, my dad was talking to one of my nieces and nephews the other day. I was on the phone with my dad. Um, and uh, he asked my niece to go get him some ice out of the ice maker. And all the way in Jacksonville, Florida, over the phone, I heard my niece say, Ugh. And I knew, I knew, I knew. That's the same Ronnie Eggerson that raised me. And had I done that, I'd still be looking for my teeth. But my dad did something that blew my mind. Chelsea, he says to my niece, don't worry about it. She said, no, Papa, I was going. He said, no, don't worry about it. He said, because if it's that hard for you, to do something for me after all I've done for you. I'd rather do it myself. But remember, you're going to need me, God help me, before I need you. And this is the principle of cheerful giving. Only believers, notice this, this is not a commandment to non-believers. So if you're not a Christian in here, if you don't know God in the pardon of your sins, this is not for you. This is for believers. Right. The reason why this commandment is only to believers is because only believers can juxtapose juxtapose just a fancy word for sitting next to uh, juxtapose the sacrifice of God with the commandment of God. Right. God says, take what I asked you to do and set it up against what I've already done for you. 
Now, only believers are able to recognize that God has already done something for us through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. So what, what happens, what should happen in our mind is we should think about what God is asking us to do. But then think about that thing in light of what God has already done and say, instead of giving my life because the wages of sin is death, God shouldn't be asking me for money. He should be asking me for my life and for the life of my spouse and for the life of my children. He should be asking me to make my bed in hell. But instead of giving my life, I don't have to give money, but I get to give money instead of giving my life. So that's why I'm able to give with joy because the spiritual benefit of what God has done for me has a price tag that money can't buy but God then allows me to put payments on it every single day okay you don't get it you don't get it uh, I got a pretty truck outside I like my truck uh, but every month Davon I got to make a payment on the truck I got to make a payment on the truck now the way that typical payments are set up is uh, if you make the minimum payment it will prolong the note out for several years so that the owner of the note gets more money than the truck is actually worth at the end of the loan term uh, so if I'm making a payment every month I'm not really doing anything to the debt for real but I'm making a payment so I'm in a cycle where not me I'm just talking about typical car loans I got a zero percent interest on that truck that's one reason I got it God blessed me with that truck but typically when you're making a payment on a vehicle you're making a payment that helps them build up interest on a debt that will never be repaid but in order for you to be in right standing with the company even though you know you're never going to repay the debt or you're going to have to make a balloon payment to pay it off you got to make the payment every time they ask for the payment even though I know the debt won't be repaid now I do that every month and the car company didn't die for me the car company didn't set me free the car company didn't protect my children the car company didn't make a way out of no way but I'm paying on a debt for them that I know will never be repaid and every time I make my car payment I do it with joy because I got it out the way and God says if you can do that every week or every month or every other week with something that's carnal and natural how come you can't come and give me something because I know I got a debt over your life that you'll never be able to repay I know that I've done something for you that you couldn't do for yourself I know that I've opened up doors for you that no man can shut and if you know that then you should be able to give with joy because joy is a matter of perspective. Huh. Happiness is determined, my daddy would say, by your happenings. But joy is not messed, is not affected by your happenings. Because joy is a matter of perspective. So if I got the right perspective on giving, I should be able to have joy in the midst of my giving. Because I understand that what I got, I shouldn't have. And what I have don't belong to me. It belongs to him. God help me. Uh, so when God asked me to go into the refrigerator of my bank account and get him some ice cubes of money that already belonged to him in the first place, God help me, I should be able to do it with joy because I understand that all of it belongs to him. So if you're still tripping about giving God something, that means that you've misappropriated who the owner of your resources actually is. You think you actually own something. Never forget, my son, uh, my daughter allows my son 
to share half of her room with her. Yeah, my, my, my daughter allows that to happen. I remember one time my son got beside himself because I had sent my daughter in there to clean up their room. Uh, and uh, she's taking all of the mess of his that's on her side of the room and she is transferring it over to the side that it belongs on. And, and my son said, Tamia, didn't I tell you, stay on my side of the room? Stay on my side of the room. He said some other stuff. Uh, and so I say, Junior, come here. He comes in and, yes, Danny. I said, don't you ever talk to your sister like that while you're in her room. The room I'm in is your room. But I kicked you out of it because all the rooms are my room. You don't own nothing in the house. Everything in the house belonged to me and your mother. You're a guest into Mia's room. Because I've given that room to her. But some of us in our finances treat God like my son treats his sister. God, what you doing in my finances? Preacher, what you doing talking to me about my money? And God is looking down from heaven. Fool, don't you understand that ain't your money? Everything that you got belongs to me. Your job is not your source. It is a resource. That's also then why. Christians should never be tripping over a paycheck because your provider is not your job. Your job is just a source that your provider uses to make sure that you got what you need. So you should always be obedient to God. Okay, I, I got to stop. So the size of our harvest is directly connected uh, to the size of our seed. Uh, God only receives seed that is released with the right heart. Number three, uh, whatever God demands from his children God supplies for his children. Yeah. You should have shouted off that. Y'all shouted already. Um, <laughs> whatever God demands from us, he supplies for us. Huh. God. So that is why verse 8 is important. Because God is not really asking for money. Because if he was asking for money, Paul would have said, and God is able to make all money abound to you. But Paul doesn't say God is able to make all money abound to you. Paul says when you're in tight places and you need to give with generosity and joy, God gives you grace so that having all sufficiency in everything, you may have an abundance not for every good offering, but for every good deed. Woo. God have mercy. Uh, God says you don't have an income problem. You got an obedience problem. And the answer, God help me, I feel like preaching through here now. The answer for disobedience is grace. That went past you because it should have shouted you. The answer, God's answer for disobedience is not wrath, it's grace. God's answer for disobedience in sin is grace. God's answer for disobedience in promiscuity is grace. God's answer for disobedience in homosexuality is grace. God's answer for disobedience in rebellion is grace. And God's answer for disobedience in your finances is grace, not mercy. Mercy has already been released to you on the cross. 
Because at the cross of Calvary, God poured out the full measure of his anger, the full measure of his wrath on Jesus Christ. So now mercy has already been established in the earth. So you are free from the punishment of sin. But you still need to be free from the behavior of sin. And in order to free you from the behavior of sin, what does Paul say? God is able to make all grace abound unto you. God is going to give you grace so that you can obey him. God help me. Uh, he, he, he's going to give you grace so that you can say yes to him. He's going to give you the power to look at your finances with new eyes and understand that even when it's tight here, God is working up here in a realm that I cannot see to make sure that what's going on down here happens right. Ooh. He's going to give you grace for the tight places of life. He, he's going to give you grace so that when you ain't got two nickels to rub together, when you ain't got a pot or a window, when you don't have anything uh, to give him, he's going to give you grace so that you'll be able to dig through your life and find the areas of your life that are out of whack in the places where you're being disobedient in your finances. And you'll be able to cut back and trim here and cut off that friend that's sucking all your money away and cut away that relationship with that deadbeat. And God said, I'll show you ways that you'll be able to give more because you ain't got a money problem you got an obedience problem and the answer for disobedience is grace oh god help me i i really i really wish i had more time but but he says now god is able to make all grace abound to you so that always somebody say always Having all sufficiency in everything. God help me. Uh, you may have an abundance for every good deed. God help me. Can I, can I just read a couple more verses to you? And I promise I'm done. I, I, verse 9. Thank you. Uh, verse 9 says, as it is written, he scattered abroad. He gave to the poor. That's us. And his righteousness endures forever you do realize that anytime the bible talks about the poor in scripture it's talking about you uh, because you owe a debt that you cannot pay so whenever the bible talks about good news to the poor especially you black people god is talking to us do you hear what i'm saying yeah because you do you do realize you live in an economic system that is designed to keep you bound notice they don't talk about all these laws to change how we make money until black folk become billionaires Notice they don't talk about all these laws about taxing the rich, even the Democratic Party. Don't talk about taxing the rich until black folk get money. When it was only white people becoming billionaires, it was fine for the rich to get richer. But now that you have the ability to start a business and to promote an idea and to create something that makes you a billionaire and put you on the same playing field with them economically, something has to change. And God says, I'm giving to the poor. I'm giving to the poor his righteousness. Somebody say his righteousness. Endures forever. Now verse 10. And I got to quit. Verse 10 says. Now he who supplies seed to the sower. And bread for food. Will supply and multiply your seed for sowing. And. Increase the harvest 
of your righteousness. You will be enriched in everything for all liberality, which through us, that's important, remember that, is producing thanksgiving to God. I'm going to read it one more time, and then I got to move. He who supplies, somebody say he. Who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply. Somebody say, will supply. will supply. And multiply your seed for sowing and increase. Somebody say increase. increase. Say increase like you mean it. Say increase. increase. The harvest of your righteousness. God help me. Oh God. So Paul says, if, if you want grace in the tight place. You've got to recognize that the size of your harvest is directly connected to the size of your seed. You've got to recognize that God only receives seed that is released with the right heart. He said you also got to understand that whatever God demands from his children, God provides for his children. He's going to give you grace for giving. But then finally, when you're giving, God says you got to remember this. No matter how much you give, you can never outgive God. Oh, Lord, have mercy. No matter how much you give. God will not allow you to outgive him. Because if you give more than God, you become God and he's not. So God says in order for you to understand that you are never in competition with me for my ability to provide for you. Whenever you give, I'm going to outgive you. But how does he do it? Who? First of all, first of all, the Bible says that he's going to give seed to the sower. He's going to supply seed. But it also says he's going to multiply seed. Who God. You got to understand he's talking about money. Yeah. He, he's saying on a basic level. Right. Give and it shall be given. Good measure. Press down. Shaking together, running over, will men give unto your bosom? God says, I'm going to make sure that if I can trust you to give, I'm going to make sure you always got money. But not only am I going to make sure you always got money, I'm going to multiply your seed. So that after you sow, you're going to look in your bank account. You're going to look in the bottom of your purse. You're going to look in your wallet and find something extra that you don't need for a bill or for your saving. And God said, I'm going to make you give more in sowing. Why does God give you more to sow? Because the more seed you sow, the bigger your harvest is. And so God says, I'm going to make sure you always got something to give. But not only that, he says, now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. Notice there are two words. Multiply and increase. At face value, they seem to mean the same thing, right? Because multiplication is a type of increase. But that is not the case in the Greek New Testament. In the Greek, that word uh, for multiply uh, is a word that is uh, where we get the English word. It is plethero. It is where we get the English word plethora, right? Multiply, plethora, right? God is going to give you many seeds. He's going to give you many Things. But the word for increase denotes that God is getting ready not just to give you a monetary harvest, but he says the monetary harvest is guaranteed because you sold money. And if you put apple seeds in the ground, you get apples back. 
If you put orange seeds in the ground, you get oranges back. And if you sow money into the kingdom, you best believe that I'm going to give you money back. But increase of harvest means that I'm getting harvest now that I didn't expect. That means that while I'm sowing money in the spirit realm, God is sending workers into the field behind me. To sow peace and to sow joy and to sow prosperity in my body, to sow health in my mind. He's sowing uh, a spiritual antidepressants and, and he's lifting my spirit with joy. Uh, he says, I'm increasing you and giving you harvest that you did not expect. Do you hear what I'm saying? He said he's going to multiply seed and that's cool uh, because everybody wants a little more money. But he's saying that also I'm going to increase your harvest so that you have harvest that you did not expect. Do you hear what I'm saying? He says, I'm going to give you whew, a different kind of harvest. I got to press this a little bit further or else I wouldn't be true to the text. Uh, what is the First two words of verse number 10. Say it with me. Now he. That's important. Because God is not saying. Now he's not only saying. Andrea that I'm going to give you. Increase. And that I'm going to give you. Multiplication. But what he's saying. Felicia is that I am going to be your increase. And I am going to be your multiplication. Which means that God is not just the provider of increase, but he is the product of increase. God help me. Uh, that, that, that God, God help me, ain't just the producer of the album of increase. He's the singer. God help me. He, he, he says, I am the source and I'm the product. I'm, I, I, I'm not giving you more money. I'm giving you more me. God help me. So what, mean, what this means is now your provision is not based on your ability. It's not based on your income. It's not based on your investments, but it's based upon me. So when you obey God in giving, what God says is I step in and I now become your Merrill Lynch. I, I now become your financial portfolio. I now become your fidelity and your financial advisor but not only that I step in and manipulate the market on your behalf and guess what God can't go to jail for insider trading God can step in and manipulate affairs on your behalf so that you have exactly what you need at all times if you obey God God then attaches your provision to the person of his Godness so that now what you have is not dependent upon you, but it's dependent upon him. Paul presses this claim a little bit further in Philippians 4.19. And my God shall supply all of your needs according to his riches. Where? Has anybody ever seen glory? I know we've ever, we, 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 we as worship leaders, we stand up here and we say stuff like, I feel glory, right? But, but has anybody ever seen glory? Uh, that's because God wants you to know that his riches reside in a place where moth cannot corrupt, where thieves can't break in and steal it, where the FDIC doesn't have to insure it. God says my riches are not in a vault at Wells Fargo Bank or Bank of America or Chase. They're in glory. And how are they secured? By Christ Jesus. So God's riches are secured the same way my salvation is secured. God secures me and his riches by the power of Christ Jesus. Okay, so I got to quit. Um, he says, 
No matter how much I give, I can't outgive God. God gives us grace, beloved, for the tight place. But the question is, why does he do it? Right? Uh, an even better question is, Pastor Josh, why are you preaching about money? Right? Paul says something interesting in verse 11. It's on the screen. In verse 11, he says, you will be enriched in everything for all liberality, which through us, somebody say through us, is producing thanksgiving. Somebody say thanksgiving, thanksgiving. to God. God empowers you with grace for the tight places. Because when you say yes to God in your giving over here, Paul, this is what Paul's saying. Paul's saying, look, uh, there is somebody on the other side that is depending on this gift. That, that, that somebody's going to hear the gospel. Somebody's going to come to know Jesus. Somebody's going to have their life turned around because of what you give today. That's what Paul is telling the church. He's saying, and when you say yes to God, when you say yes to Jesus over here, that means somebody is going to say thank you to Jesus over there. When you give your money to God over here, somebody is going to give their praises to God over there. When you give of your finances over here, somebody is going to come to know Jesus in the pardon of their sin and accept him as Lord and Savior over here. And so God is saying obedience over here on this side produces glory on this side. And God is in the glory business. God help me. I told you Satan wasn't after your worship. Uh, he's not just after your money. He's after your worship because worship generates glory and Satan doesn't want God to get the glory. And the reason why he makes you think that your finances are tight enough so that you can't say yes to God is because he wants to close the heavens over your life so that glory is not produced for God in the earth. But you got to understand that when Jesus went up to heaven he is no longer on the earth performing miracles but the church is the hands and feet of Jesus Christ that's why I got a problem with any preacher any prophet any apostle that says that they've seen Jesus and they wasn't talking about when they were in a church house because the whole purpose of the church is to be the physical representation of Jesus Christ in the earth the reason why we're here is not to be sang to not to be preached to not to be shouted but the reason why we sing and we preach and we shout in here is so that we can be empowered to do miracles for Christ out there and God says that when you show up and you give what you're doing is you are enabling the work of God to the people of God for the glory of God that when you say yes to God you are enabling the work of God to the people of God for the glory of God you always talking about my generation especially is always talking about what is the church doing the church ain't got money to do nothing because you stingy maybe if you give you'd see more people out in the projects doing evangelism because tracks cost money maybe if you gave you would see people feeding more people because food ain't free maybe if you gave you would see more single mothers being helped and more uh, men being helped after they were released from incarceration if you give your money because ministry has always will always cost money but if you give and say yes over here then God says I'm getting glory over here now can I help you God does not share glory, <laughs> but he doesn't mind sharing credit. God, help me. Oh, God, yeah, you missed it. The, the, the Abrahamic covenant says, and I will bless you, and I will increase you, 
and I will make your name great. Ooh. God has no problem. I know we sing about his great name, but God doesn't have any problem with your name becoming great. He has no problem with you getting the spotlight. As long as once you're in it, you give him glory. God help me. As long as when you get in the spotlight, you tell people everything that was good that happened to me. God did it. So God says, I'm allowing you then to participate in my glory. I'm allowing you then to be able to have some credit in what I'm doing. But all I'm asking you to do is to open your hand. And my question, my question to you now, I'm done. My question is, what is it that's stopping you from being generous? I want to challenge you to cut it out of your life. You know, we grew up uh, in, in a particular Pentecostal tradition where uh, they tell us holiness is right. They tell us touch not, taste not, handle not. You know, come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. And that's not just we're drinking, smoking, clubbing, going to the movies, all that stuff that they told us we couldn't do. Couldn't play cards. Couldn't eat red devil hot sauce. <laughs> My grandmother my grandmother would rip the label off the red devil hot sauce because she liked the taste and write Jesus with permanent mark on it. <laughs> but, 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 but that's not holiness. Holiness, that, that's not theological holiness. It's practical holiness. But holiness is the principle of removing anything out of your life that keeps you from being obedient to God. Even if it's stuff that may not be sinful, but it's keeping you from God. Even if it's stuff that you like. That's why the writer of Hebrews says, lay aside every weight and sin. Which means that there are things in your life that may not be a sin, but they're a weight. Stand to your feet.